Hey friends, welcome to Conversations with Kenzie, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Kenzie Brenna. No topic goes unturned here. We talk about everything with everyone. We like to get raw and sometimes we get heavy and sometimes we swear. So I'm warning you now. Also, we are working remotely. So audio quality between host and guest may differ. Lastly, check out our show notes for giveaways, fun promotions, or discounts to our favorite stuff. Enjoy the show. Okay. Hi, Millie. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's been so nice to connect with you online. I found your, I I think that maybe Sober Girl Society um, reblogged one of my pictures or posted something about me in the Instagram stories. And that's how I found you. And I was like, absolutely obsessed. I love the platform that you've created. Oh, well, thank you so much. I, I actually remember. So I, I put like um, a kind of shout out out and asked everyone to to tell me people that were really inspiring to them throughout their sobriety journey. And someone sort of sent your name in and I looked at your profile and I was like, yes, amazing. So like from that, I found you, which is such a like lovely chance of fate, really. Oh, yes. Um, Before I start talking about, you know, my personal journey with being sober and all of that, can you tell us a little bit about your background with specifically in this context and with starting your amazing platform? Of course. Um, So I actually gave up drinking in February 2018. Um, So I am just over sort of two and a few months sober, uh, two years and a few months sober, um, I should say. And um, when I kind of gave up drinking, I I gave up because I was really struggling with my mental health. So my anxiety was being really exacerbated by drinking, as was my depression. Um, And I'd kind of got myself into this real cycle of feeling anxious, drinking to stop the anxiety in actual fact the uh, drinking was making the anxiety worse I was kind of doing things that I wasn't proud of I was my self-esteem was absolutely on the floor um, so I decided that I was going to give up drinking and it wasn't necessarily at the time going to be a full-time thing and the instant impact that it had on my mental health was just indescribable and I, it just felt like I was meant to be doing it. So I kind of carried on with this journey and I didn't really know anyone else my age in particular that was doing it. So I kind of started looking around on Instagram and I started seeing there was a couple of um, other people who were kind of talking about their sober journeys. And I was like, wow, this is great. Like there are people out there talking about it, but we're kind of all spread out. And I found a kind of a couple of communities, a lot of them were actually based in the US. Um, and then a lot of them were kind of talking about mummy wine culture and, and, you know, drinking at play dates with kids. And I couldn't really find anything that was like one central hub for young millennial women who decided that alcohol wasn't really serving them anymore, or, you know, just wanted to change their relationship with alcohol, wanted to be more sober curious. So I kind of thought, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to set it up myself. Um, so that's how Sober Girls Society started, really. And now it's just kind of morphed into this platform, which has grown beyond my expectations. I thought it may be we'd get a few people that were just chatting amongst ourselves about what it was like to be sober. Um, and now we run events up and down sort of the UK, hoping to go into the US um, in the next, I'd say, few years, being optimistic. Um, and yeah, that, that, is, that is it, really. 
That is so amazing that, you know, you had those that those types of revelations about yourself, like you were saying that you were doing things that you weren't necessarily feeling proud of and that you thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out my habits. I'm going to stop doing this thing that makes me feel like crummy afterwards. Um, A bit about my sober journey. I don't know what term to use because I'm not 100% sober, but I don't drink. Like I just, I just don't. I had problems with drinking in high school and drinking excessively all of the time. And then I didn't really drink too much into my 20s because I kind of had that weird relationship with it. And then when I did drink, I started realizing that it immediately just like made me feel like crap. Like I just cannot metabolize it or what it is, but I just felt so I just I didn't feel good drinking at all. And so now I just don't. And it'll be like very much like once every few years that like I might have a celebratory drink somewhere, but it's like a sip and then I put it down and it's just it's really just not for me. But I love this term that you also said sober curious. I love that so much. Can you define that for us? Uh, do you know what I can but it's also actually really tricky to define because what has happened is sober curious has actually now come to have kind of several meanings so it's why um, it's kind of got a bit confused in the last couple of years and everyone seems to use it differently so there's kind of the idea with sober curiosity which is you know being curious about being full-time teetotal sober however you want to term it so it's kind of this idea that you know you're interested in maybe that lifestyle you're starting to kind of look into it um and then there's kind of sober curious which has been adopted as like a permanent way of life so it's not necessarily and this this perhaps maybe is where you would sit more is it's not necessarily you know a complete that you ever plan to be completely teetotal, but you're just super conscious and super mindful of your drinking, the motivations behind your drinking, when you're drinking, why you're drinking. So it's like a permanent state of curiosity rather than ever defining yourself as teetotal. So it's come to have those kind of like two meanings now, whereas I think in a way, one of the meanings is quite interchangeable with mindful drinker, um, but I think there's just sort of a little bit more behind it. I've never even heard that term before either. Mindful drinker. That's so um, that is that to me think I, I think that that's such a nice conscious space to be in with yourself, asking yourself those reflective questions. Why am I drinking? Who am I drinking with? How much am I drinking? Do I feel good during and afterwards? And do I feel good even before? Obviously, that can affect how much you drink as well and why you're drinking. And I know that so many people, they they like to have fun and having fun also is usually synonymous with drinking. You know, if somebody thinks about having a good time on the weekend or having a good time with friends, they usually, a lot of times uh, people pair that up with alcohol. Would you say that that's like relatively normal? Do you think that that's, that's correct? Um, I do. I I think drinking is so tied up in celebration. You know, it's in a toast at a wedding, someone gets a promotion, you celebrate with alcohol. It's so tied up in everything we do. And there's actually a kind of psychology as well that when you turn down a drink at a celebration, in people's minds, you're actually turning down the celebration. 
which is one of the reasons that it gets kind of so interlinked with things. So if it's someone's birthday and they say, oh, go and have a drink, it's my birthday. And you say, oh, well, actually, no, I don't want to drink. In their head, they're saying, like, it's like you're saying, well, actually, I don't want to celebrate your birthday, which, of course, is not the case. So that is one of the things that we try and look at is how, you know, you celebrate without alcohol. But equally tied up in alcohol is commiseration as well just as much as we use it for celebration we use it for commiseration we use it for stressful weeks we use it you know if someone's passed away it's it's so tied up in literally everything that we do it is so tied up and that's such a good point the amount of times that I've been out and I have refused a drink and the social pressure that comes with that is Wild. I mean, I've actually had to really set very firm boundaries with people and ask them to stop pressuring me into drinking when I go out because it is it's exactly like you said, as soon as you turn down the drink, it's like you're turning down them. It's like you're rejecting them. You're rejecting the celebration. You're rejecting the social activity that you guys are doing. And it definitely was jarring at first when I was in my 20s and when I started saying no or when I was just always saying no to stuff. Um, When I started going out with people more, I couldn't believe how just how, you know, pushy people can be with stuff. I just couldn't. I really I, I thought that I had better friends than that, but it almost made them feel like they were the ones like maybe drinking too much if I wasn't drinking. Have you ever felt something similar like that? Oh, 100%. And and I think in a way that's why it's, I don't want to say harder for people who are kind of sober curious, but for me, because I define myself as, you know, sober, teetotal, I don't necessarily get that pressure as much anymore because people have had time to accept that I am an absolute no. And now that they they won't push me. But if you're sober curious and say you drink on some occasions and not necessarily others, those boundaries, because you haven't got necessarily super set boundaries. And, and like you said, you've had to really put those in place, then people will try and push those. So and the other thing, like you said, I think sometimes when you kind of say something about your drinking, it, it holds a mirror up to their drinking in a way. And, and people in particular with drink just don't really respond well to it and I mean I know it with kind of eating meat like I'm a meat eater and every day I kind of wish I wasn't and then when I speak to vegans it's almost as if I feel my own like get my own back off even though because I know it's something that I would really love to stop doing so I I think it's a really interesting thing but I think even alcohol particular if you tell someone that you're not drinking it like people can take it offensively which is so interesting but with like the friend thing I always say my friends kind of came round to it in the end so when I first told them I got the same reactions it was kind of like oh you're going to be boring now and they weren't necessarily positive and supportive reactions which like you said I was surprised because I thought I had better friends but as time has gone on they have turned into the most wonderful supportive people that I know so I always tell people not really to read into the reactions of their friends first of all and and you know give it time that's a really 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 good point um before we dive into that I'm curious when you started having these reflections were you drinking a lot or would you say that you were just drinking on weekends or just after work like what what was it about your habits that were starting to make you reflect on them 
So interestingly, I've always kind of been like a weekend, I mean, we call them weekend warriors in the UK. I don't know if you have the same thing over there, which is that classic just party girl binge drinking really that's like totally normal. No one ever really questions it. I wasn't drinking in the day. I wasn't really drinking a lot in the week. But when I did drink, I just did not stop. I didn't have an off switch. So I would go out and just drink everything in sight basically on a Friday night and then spend my entire weekend hungover. Um, And my kind of sort of, I don't know what you would say, really defining kind of moments were I I was in a relationship for six years. And then when I broke up with my ex-boyfriend, I had a period of about two months where I really, really drank. So I, because, I mean, it's so tied up in heartbreak culture as well. And it was, you know, I'd broken up with someone and the only way that I couldn't feel this kind of like heartbreak was to just go out and get really, really super drunk. And I noticed that it was creeping up. I was doing it every weekend. And then the next day I was just feeling so awful, so horrendous. I was already so devastated that, and I was just making it worse myself. So at that point, I was kind of like, if I keep going the way I am, I'm going to drink myself into some sort of self-pity party abyss so I can either change that and, you know, use this relationship and and actually heal again and start again and, and start something new or I can just carry on feeling sorry for myself. So that was those kind of last two months, I think it kind of edged into slightly scarier territory. But before that, my drinking had always been very standard party girl behavior. And I think that that's really important to note is that you don't actually have to necessarily, you know, be an alcoholic. You don't have to have even like very, very, very heavy drinking. You can just reflect on whether or not drinking is serving you properly because you you weren't technically an alcoholic. No. And I think what we're recognizing more and more is actually alcoholic isn't really a term that is being used as much anymore. It's not, it's more terms like alcohol dependency and addiction that we use. Um, We don't use the term alcoholic at Sober Girl Society. Some platforms choose to, we choose not to, um, because in a way it, it can actually stop a lot of people from recognizing that they have a problem with drinking because it's not this traditional problem drinking that we see. So I definitely had a problem with drinking, but because it wasn't, you know, I'd lost all my friends and family, I'd lost my job, I'd lost my house. It it kind of, it can often keep people stuck to wait until they feel like they need this label before they give up. And actually, that's what we're recognizing more that actually addiction is more of a spectrum and, and maybe you're a little bit addicted, maybe you're a lot addicted. And you know, that's that's one thing that I think is kind of changing now is that we're realizing you don't necessarily have to have this catastrophic rock bottom. If alcohol isn't allowing you to live your best life, then you can absolutely remove it. You don't have to wait until you're right at the very end. Thank you so much for correcting that. I think that that's so that as soon as you said that it was like a light bulb turned on into my head because we talk about that with mental health labels all of the time regarding, you know, you're not just a depressed person. You're not just an like an anorexic, say, for example, like an eating disorder. Um, you are a person that has something that and you're struggling with it rather than you are this. So that's such a good way to correct terminology. I really appreciate you saying that. And I think that that's really good that your platform doesn't use that term because alcohol dependency or um, substance use disorder is such a, I, I think that it, 
might have less stigma and it might actually help a person feel like, okay, maybe I I do, you know, struggle with this a little bit, but that's not exactly who you are. So that's that's really, I, I feel like the terminology is just so important and you're absolutely right. Everything is a spectrum. I actually did some research before chatting with you and I saw online that most heavy drinkers aren't actually people who technically struggle with alcoholism. Is that is that also a correct term? Um, uh, yeah, again, it's it's sort of one of these terms. It's not necessarily being used as much in my kind of medical literature. But if if people want to define themselves as an alcoholic, like some people mm-hmm. will take more comfort in that because it means that they can put a label on themselves. And again, in those kind of situations where maybe they're being pressured to drink, they can actually use that as kind of a please don't push me. This is what I am. So I'm mm-hmm. not saying people shouldn't use it in any way, because if that's how people I mean, it's been something that's been used for so long. So if people want to use it, like I'm all for everyone labeling themselves how they want to be or not labeling themselves at all. Like it's absolutely everyone's prerogative. But I think what we are recognizing is that there's just so many different types of problem drinking. And and like you said, a lot of the heavy drinkers are not necessarily at this kind of rock bottom identifying stage. And and what you find with the stats as well, that, you know, it's like a lot of wealthy people. It's a lot of people in good jobs on high incomes. It's not necessarily the people that we necessarily think it is. Mm, yeah, it's not like a stereotypical idea that you have in your head. It's so interesting how similar this is to eating disorder advocacy, because so oftentimes we say that, you know, eating disorders do not discriminate. (laughs) Like there are so many different types of people that struggle with eating disorders. And a lot of the times the people that we think about in our head who struggle with eating disorders, that's excluding everyone else who struggles as well. So I think that this is the same thing that uh, people who who drink, I mean, like, there's so who doesn't like. I mean, there's so many people who would fall on that spectrum, and to not limit that. So I, did you want to did you want to say something? No, I I was gonna say I think as well. Um, I have it's just an observation that I have made as well with, with kind of parallels because with sort of eating disorders as well. You know, there's a lot of different terms, and and eating disorders are so complex. It's not necessarily you're an eater and you're not an eater, and you know you've got purging, binging, anorexia, all those different types. But with drinking, we have alcoholic or not. We don't have all those kind of words to describe all these different complex relationships with alcohol. You know, like I would say that I was a binger when it came to alcohol, but that's not necessarily recognized as problem drinking. So it it is interesting that there are quite a lot of parallels. Yeah, absolutely. I think just even phrasing it like it is a spectrum is going to help enlighten people so much with that and not just put it into two categories, either you are or you're not, because the fifty there's like 50,000 shades of gray. Um, yeah. And I read that in the United States, you know, nine out of 10 people who do struggle with alcohol aren't clinically addicted. And I think that that's really important to talk about, too, because even though that, yes, the diagnostic criteria is something that I think is important and valuable and plays a role, it's all part of the same monster that we're all fighting. And it's the same thing when people message me and they say, I don't think that I have an eating disorder, but I know that I have a disordered relationship with food. And it's like, even if you're not necessarily in that clinical space where it's, yes, you are this, yes, you are that, you can still struggle and you definitely deserve to get help and you don't necessarily have to. And I've 
talked about this on another podcast episode that you don't have to hit rock bottom in order to start reflecting, in order to seek help, in order to stop something. Yeah, there's um there's a good sort of example that we use, which is if you're on like a lift or an elevator, if if we're talking um, in American, and it's kind of this idea that actually you don't have to wait until you go to the very bottom floor. If you recognize that you're not feeling safe or you're not enjoying it, you can just get off at any floor that you want to. Like you don't have to wait until you go all the way down. And it's so much better to recognize it early than to wait until it gets really bad. Did you ever find that because you weren't technically in that area with where saying like, okay, it's really, really, really bad, you know, I'm I'm depending on alcohol way too much that you thought maybe I don't have a problem? Oh, 100%. I think I had I found things like Sober Girl Society and, and other platforms that are out there talking about this now, I probably would have stopped a long time ago. And, you know, even now when I get interviewed for things, because I am this sort of face of Sober Girl Society, people will say, oh, well, did you have this rock bottom? And, and when I kind of say like, no, they push me and, and they say, oh, something really bad must have happened. And I kind of just say, well, a lot of kind of little things that were quite bad and traumatic happened. But I wouldn't say I had this one, you know, almighty fall from grace. And, and people really struggle to accept that you would completely stop something unless it was massively interfering with your life. They can't kind of wrap their heads around that you could just stop before it got too bad and it's it's not their fault when people interview me about it I don't ever get annoyed about it because drinking is just so wrapped up in everything it's just so everywhere it's on tv it's on adverts you know influencer plugging it there's no rules around it it's it's absolutely everywhere so it's really hard like when when people can't sort of see that you would want to take something out of the equation before it ruins your life if that makes sense yeah, absolutely. I think that we're only used to people, especially in this realm, we really only used to people getting sober when something really terrible has happened or when they are, you know, chronically dependent on alcohol. I feel as if like if somebody who is um did you say that you that in the UK you guys call them weekend warriors or, yes, or yeah. <laughs> weekend warriors? They I don't think that people necessarily would think in their head that somebody who just drinks on the weekends or somebody who just drinks, you know, a few drinks after work every single night would need to stop that again, because it's so normalized. And which I mean, if it absolutely tickles your fancy, like do your own thing for a lot of people, it's out of it might be out of habit or it might not be making them feel good during or afterwards. It might be it, it, or it might be, you know, serving an emotional purpose as well. And so I think that like all of these like self-aware, self-reflective tools that you're talking about are really important for people to be asking themselves during their process. Because again, like you can stop if it, even though you're not at rock bottom, even though you're not in that category of being clinically addicted or whatnot. What was the transition like for you when you decided, OK, I'm going to get sober now? So I um, I always say that I kind of studied sobriety like I was, you know, trying to get a degree in it. And I read every book that I could get my hands on. I sort of like watched all the documentaries. I listened to the podcast and I just absorbed everything that I could about sobriety because I just kind of felt like if I had all the facts and if I, if I knew things, then that knowledge would really be something that I could reflect on if I was ever having like a moment or a wobble. Um, so that was kind of the first thing. 
everything I did. And then I'm I'm quite a stubborn person. And, and like you said, I got a lot of my friends saying things like, oh, you know, you're going to be really boring or you're not going to be fun anymore. So I kind of decided that I was going to prove them wrong. And I would not recommend this to everyone. But I kind of just carried on as if nothing had happened. So I would stay out till 3am dancing with my friends. And, and while for some people that might be a bit of dangerous territory because it might kind of compromise their sobriety. For me, it was actually really positive because it helped me realize quite early on that I could actually do these big, scary things without alcohol and I could actually still enjoy them. So that that was one thing I kind of did at the start was uh, rip the Band-Aid off. Just jumped in headfirst, even in, in, into, the, into the cool pool. It was just jumping right in. I feel like so many people tiptoe into that, but I, I am definitely, a, I, I always do the all or nothing when it comes to stuff. So either I'm like diving in head first or I'm not doing it at all. So I yeah. feel you. I think that also with alcohol, I think that it affords us certain qualities about ourselves, or it affords us certain moments like for me, drinking always gave me a sense of confidence and it always like numbed out thoughts and stuff. And so I thought to myself when I decided to, you know, mostly stop, I thought, okay, I'm going to try to deal with those moments on my own. I'm trying to, going to try to be more confident and fun with my friends in the moment, even without a drink. And I'm going to start journaling without alcohol. I'm going to start doing all of these things without this. What was it about drinking that, you know, made sense for you at the time? What was it affording you? I would say exactly the same. For me, it was quite a numbing thing. And one of the things that I always say is that I actually don't think I really liked drinking. I think I liked being drunk. I liked not having to think about those things. I liked not having to be insecure. I liked not having to worry. I just loved like shutting down my brain. And that was kind of it, whether it was because I was stressed, because I was heartbroken, because I was upset, because I didn't like the way I looked. It was, yeah, for me, a, a total number. So facing those kind of things is actually one of the toughest things in sobriety is actually okay now I'm faced with all these feelings so in actual fact one of the biggest things I always say the challenges in early sobriety is learning to sit with your feelings and not numb them not quieten them and face them head on and and that can actually be quite hard for people but in terms of the confidence aspect I would say at the start, I felt very uncomfortable without a drink in hand. I was so used to it. But everything gets better and easier with time. And in actual fact, real confidence grows by doing those scary things sober. If you're always relying on a drink, you will never be able to, you know, go on a sober date because you'll always be too scared about it. But once you've done two, three, you're actually like, oh, this is easy. I can do this. It's it's like creating that confidence through kind of authenticity. And like really practicing a lot of vulnerability because I think that a lot of people do use alcohol as a crutch and you're you're able to lean on it and because it does give you that confidence, that boldness, you know, the ability to be outspoken, all of those things. I mean, for for a lot of people, not everyone, of course, I 100% know that when you don't have that crutch, whatever that crutch may be, we all have it. It could be clothes, it could be makeup, it could be drinking. When you don't have that crutch, you you got to face some stuff. 
Oh, definitely. And I think like you say, we've, we've all got them. I think in my case, I, I just wanted to find healthier ones. And, and like you say, my, my mental health was kind of really, really suffering with alcohol. So if I could find maybe a crutch that didn't necessarily affect that. So like you say, my, my, one of mine is clothes now. So if I'm feeling a bit nervous, I'll put on like an amazing dress and a bit of makeup and I'll, I'll feel better. So I think for me, it was kind of finding healthier crutches. Yeah, definitely. Healthier crutches that also don't take anything away from you once they're gone. You know, like when I, like you said, I mean, especially through quarantine right now, I've like (laughs) really had to, I have really had to have some days where I'm like, okay, girl, you got to put on some makeup today because you're just not feeling good. And it's just going to be something new. You're going to be able to look at yourself in the mirror a little bit differently. But once I take it off, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel like crap again. You know what I mean? And I think that that might also be because I've done work with my relationship with these crutches, where if I put on something that makes me feel really good, or if I, you know, like, or even just like buying like a good, like bra and underwear and I put them on and I'm like, oh my God, I feel amazing. When I take them off, I don't feel less amazing. And I think that with alcohol, alcohol, once the alcohol wore off, I felt less amazing. I felt like I did not feel good at all. Like everything came back and came back tenfold stronger. And I also realized, you know, like looking back that it actually created like more depression afterwards. And I think that that was because alcohol is a depressant and it just like, I mean, the day after I would just be so, I would not be, I mean, the hangovers were never good, but they they just like really 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 brought me down did you find that as well yeah a hundred percent and I, I think like what you were saying about sort of like the clothes and things like that I think crutches like you say should always be like an enhancer they shouldn't be something that completely alters you and for alcohol for for me alcohol wasn't an enhancer it was you know it could take me from if I was feeling really sad to being the complete opposite so I don't I don't think it was just a a snazzy something extra I think it was like just changing me completely um but the the anxiety thing is I mean there's a whole science thing behind it and I mean the easiest way I can describe it is with the kind of chemicals in your brain when you're drinking you kind of put a stop to some chemicals and you kind of enhance others and then the next morning you actually get a switch around so you get a spike in in glutamate which kind of causes anxiety and so there is actually a real science behind it as well so when when your brain calms down uh, that will come back in the morning basically and then the other kind of theory is that if you don't deal with those feelings at the time you're just pushing them down and pushing them down and when they come back in the morning they will come back worse so you'll never be able to use alcohol as a solution for your anxiety it will always make it worse in the end those feelings don't go anywhere you just push them away temporarily you will always have to deal with them at that point so that's I mean my we call it anxiety. I don't know if you, if you guys do, but it's the hangover anxiety and, and so many people experience it. Oh, I love that anxiety. I've never heard that before, but that is so real. Yeah, there's definitely the chemistry to that, the neurochemistry to that, where it definitely leaves you feeling a little bit anxious and a little bit depressed for so many people. And I feel like it's almost like that can cause the bad cycle where you can end up feeling like that. And so maybe that night you decide to drink to make yourself feel a little bit better. And it's just, it's ongoing. I'm curious about the ways that you, you know, experienced, I want to go back to that transition, the ways that you experienced 
life when you became sober. So going out, going on a date, going out with friends. Did you find that you had like you had to explain why you weren't drinking? Did you find that at first people were pressuring you and then once you said that you didn't, then they, you know, lifted it up? And I'm curious if you also influenced your friends to look at their own drinking habits and to potentially be sober curious? So I think with the um, kind of telling my friends, I think when I told them at first, there was quite a bit of pushback. And then I always give the advice, actually, radical honesty is the best policy. Because if you say to people, um, you know, I'm driving, they'll say to you, okay, like, leave your car here, we'll come back and pick it up in the morning. If you say to people, I'm on antibiotics, they will say, oh, well, actually, you can drink on most antibiotics. And, and you know, even if you tell them you can't, they will make you get your antibiotics out and, and show you the label and the instructions. So it, it's kind of really difficult. So uh, when you're radically honest and what I kind of did was say to my friends, look, drinking is making me so miserable. It doesn't matter how much fun I have on that night. The next day is not worth it for me anymore. And I'm getting really upset. I'm getting really anxious. I think I'm depressed. Um, And I kind of had these conversations with my friends, which is not easy to do. And I kind of told them one by one and and started with the ones I thought would be most receptive to it and and when I told them that they were kind of like wow okay yeah we absolutely won't pressure you and that's what I found now is if I'm just really radically honest and I think because I've I've spoken to so many strangers now about my entire life story that if anyone ever approaches me on like a night out and says why don't you drink I just tell them the story and then they're like oh okay um yeah obviously don't drink then so I think that's that's one thing I would say is is be radically honest. Sorry, I can't remember what the second question that you asked was. Yeah, I'm curious about you influencing your friends oh. and whether or not they ended up reflecting on their own habits and whether or not any of them became sober curious themselves. Because for me, I definitely have influence some people in my life to look at their own habits and also because of when I've chosen to not drink it's also made people feel like I've noticed it's like really made people feel bad about themselves and like that's a we got to work through that that is definitely that was a, a big issue that I had to work through with them. Yeah, I think one big thing that I realized is actually I was a bit of a ringleader. So when I kind of went out with my friends, I realized that they didn't actually drink as much as I thought that they did. And it was mainly me who was the one who was, you know, topping up their drinks, encouraging everyone to do shots. And the other thing I've noticed when I go for dinner, say one on one with someone, because I'm not drinking, they don't feel the pressure to drink. And I noticed this on dates as well, is that if I've said, oh, actually, I don't drink. They go, oh, well, uh, actually, I'll have the night off drinking as well. And in a way, a lot of people are actually looking for an excuse not to drink. And they're quite glad when you say that you don't because it gives them an excuse to have a night off. We, It's kind of like we've got this unwritten rule between us all that we all pretend that we love drinking so much. But as soon as we get an excuse to have a night off, we're like, oh, OK, great. Um, I think, I, I mean, I haven't converted any of my friends to full-time sobriety yet, but they are 
a hundred percent more mindful I mean I can't remember the last time I saw any of them really really drunk which is an absolute blessing um but they're and they're so much more aware of things like you know binge drinking culture and you know all the silly kind of memes that are coming up around like wine and isolation and like my friend sent me um a thing about gin lollipops the other day and it was like these lollipops that looked like they were aimed at kids and and she kind of said oh look how wrong is this and you know she's a drinker but it's just kind of being more aware of those things that we're like throwing out into the world and especially that children are listening to I think you know I'm under no illusion that the whole world is going to or needs to go sober but there's so many things like little things out there that we can change and especially when it comes to kind of glamorizing binge drinking I think it's so important that we look at the messaging that we're putting out there. Definitely. What was the most difficult thing for you to do being sober? Oh, I would I would maybe say dating actually. I think that was a really tricky one for me at first because I I kind of my, my friends knew really why I kind of had to give up drinking and I I knew deep down that they knew I was still fun whereas when you're meeting new people it's like you feel this inner need to prove that you can be fun without drinking and I I kind of wanted to say to them look I I, I was really really fun once and and I think meeting new people is really really difficult and I kind of say with alcohol alcohol can force connections with people that you wouldn't necessarily connect with organically that's the only thing that I find now meeting new people is if I don't feel like I click with someone alcohol used to be a kind of a bond that we already had so that was something to instantly click over but when you take alcohol out of the equation you realize well actually I don't think I have much in common with this person so that's always a tricky one for me is trying to make bonds with people that it wouldn't come naturally with yeah, I have also had that that it's been tricky dating and not drinking on the first or second date because it is such a bond that two people share, you know, and it's such a conversation starter too. What are you going to drink? Do you like that wine or do you like that cocktail? What do you do you like gin? Like I mean, it's it can be such a good conversation starter and I have found that I'm almost like I apologize for myself before, even though that I haven't done anything wrong, but I'll say like, sorry, I don't actually drink. And like, I promise I'm still a hoot. I'm still awesome. I'm still a blast. But it's like, I have to almost defend myself before anything has happened because I already know that there is this idea that if you're sober, then that you're not fun, which is just like not true. I'm, I'm a great time. And I know that you're a great time too, just from talking to you already. I'm like, I really want to go out and hang out oh, with you. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I have found, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, but I have found that while I wasn't in that, like you were talking about, I wasn't in that category of being dependent on alcohol or being even um, you know, a heavy drinker in my 20s or anything like that, I... I did find that if I was dating someone, I couldn't actually get into a relationship with them if they drank a lot. I I found I found myself that I had to actually stay away from that because it just wasn't it's just so not a part of my life that I couldn't be with somebody that had to drink every single night or had to get blasted on the weekends or whatnot. What has your experience been like with that? 
Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think it's interesting because so when I I actually have a boyfriend now um, who does drink, but he I would describe him as very sober curious. He doesn't really drink around me. It's only if he goes out with his friends and even then he'll only have one or two. But I could not be with someone who drank a lot. And that is not because it would trigger me or because I would feel jealous of it but I just don't think we'd be aligned in what we want from life I'm the type of person now who loves getting up on a Sunday morning and you know going to the market or doing something or getting up and and just making the most of the day and and being with someone who would then be hung over I just don't think we would be aligned in kind of the things that we want from life and I also think it, it's really hard if if they drink quite a lot and you're with them a lot one on one when they're drinking, they're kind of not really that present. And I think it would be really, I think I would really struggle with the fact that I was constantly, you know, there, present, showing up, ready for our relationship, and they kind of weren't there. So I, I completely um, sympathise. That is, yeah, a big one for me. And it's like I say, not because I would find it triggering or because I think it would lead me back into drinking. But I just don't think that I would have that much in common with someone who drank a hell of a lot. Yeah, that's exactly it. I don't think that they would lead me into drinking. It's just that we just wouldn't necessarily have a lot in common or we wouldn't be spending the same quality time together. And that's a really big way for me to connect with my partner is by having this shared quality time. And if they had to do it while drinking um, heavily and stuff, I have a partner who who also uh, very, very, very casually, very minimally drinks. Um, and I feel so lucky because he has never done that with a partner before, but he was really open about it and really open to it. And so I feel like he and I can spend so much quality time together. And very once in a while, if he decides to go out and and have a drink or like have a celebratory drink or whatever it is, whatever it is, it's not taking anything away from the relationship. Whereas I think that if I were to date a heavy drinker or if I were to date somebody who who just like has it in their routine, I would lose a type of connection with them and I wouldn't be able to necessarily click with them as much as I want to. And you're right, like 8 a.m., on a Sunday morning, there's something that's like really powerful about getting up really early on Sunday mornings and heading to a market. Like that's really, (laughs) that is, that is so underrated. So underrated. I love that. Um, What are a few other benefits that you've seen of not drinking? Oh, where to start? Um, I mean, (laughs) generally, I am all over healthier, as in, you know, my immune system is working better. I don't really get ill that much. I feel like I've got more energy. I'm less lethargic. Um, There's a whole host of financial benefits. I mean, I've saved a ton not drinking. And I think there's so many stats out there that kind of relate to, you know, how much we spend on alcohol. But what we actually don't account for is all the other things that alcohol leads us to spend money on so whether that's like hangover food the next day whether that's you know an uber home because you've missed your last train last minute hotel bookings you know I I put actually a poll out onto my uh, Instagram about all the things that people would spend money on and you know people were saying like impulse Amazon purchases when I've been drinking and and you know someone said it leads me to want to do other drugs and things like that and spending money on that. So there's a whole host of things that you save on by not drinking that isn't necessarily the alcohol. You know, even like replacing my clothes because they've been stained with wine is is something that I don't have to do anymore, which which is great. 
Um, I'm trying to think what actually the, the I mean, they're sort of some of the amazing benefits, but I would honestly say that there's not one part of my life that hasn't been impacted positively by giving up drinking. I mean, like, I'm I'm more productive and that's not necessarily in like a you know you have to be productive because you don't but for me it's just you know I've got more energy to do things that I want to do it's helped me you know progress my career at work and and other people I know that it's helped massively so yeah I just think it's impacted every single part of my life yeah absolutely I definitely feel like it has also given me like way more money like way more money I mean the difference between I one of my old roommates who is a dear friend of mine, um, she drinks quite a lot. The amount of money that she would spend on alcohol and then the amount of money that I would just spend on like, I'm going to get a bag of popcorn because like that's <laughs> my that is my very wild Friday night. Um, it was it definitely showed a difference in bank accounts for sure. And um, I, I can 100 percent say, too, that it like the anxiety that I feel afterwards or the depression that I feel afterwards, that's obviously I don't experience that anymore or I don't experience it because of drinking anymore. And that is really, really, really nice because when I was drinking, I would always know in my head, I'm like, okay, you have to take like you tomorrow, you can't do anything basically, or you're going to do it, but you're going to feel like absolute crap. And (laughs) you, and so I remember when I was, you know, toying between the idea of being sober and going between being sober and then drinking a lot when I was drinking in my early 20s, I remember like I had this like hangover, like array of drinks where I would have like one water, then I would have soda water, then I'd have a ginger ale, then I'd have an orange juice and then I'd have a coffee. And by the time I got to the coffee, I was like, I don't know how to go into work today. Like, I don't know <laughs> how to how to feel and exist today. And that was also something that it like took away from me. Like I felt like that drinking that amount for me personally was just taking away the next day. And I wanted to do a lot. I wanted to like go out and I wanted to be with my friends or I wanted to like even just like something so simple like enjoying a movie without thinking that you're going to throw up during it or like without <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I don't want to I don't I do not want anyone listening to this to like feel shamed or anything cuz like we've been there, done that. It's all good. Like truly 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 it's there's no shame here. Yeah. It's just it just took stuff away from me that I wanted back. And then when I started to really toy around with like, okay, I'm going to tell people that I don't want to drink. I'm going to like really, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to like take back my power. I'm going to like create boundaries and stuff. That was really hard. But then I was gaining all this time. Like I would go out with friends to the bar. I wouldn't spend anything. And then I'd go home and wake up the next day. And I was like, wow, I'm really, I'm gaining a lot from this. And the conversations were difficult, but so beneficial so 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 beneficial I really 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 enjoyed it I think that is oh no I I was gonna say I think that is the most amazing way to frame it is because so many people think of sobriety as like a loss you know like a loss of fun a loss of this but in actual fact what you gain completely you know blows any of that out of the water Mm -hmm. absolutely it for me just it totally added to my life and I felt like 
honestly, especially with the dating, like even though that I do happen to apologize beforehand and, you know, and I have to defend myself and being like, I'm really fun, I promise. um, I do feel like there's a uniqueness to it as well. Like I get to actually enter into this relationship really honest and really open right off the bat because usually I'm meeting them at a restaurant or I'm meeting them at a bar, which is fine because I honestly love going to bars because they're the mood, the lighting, like some, like they're, they can just be so much fun and they have really great non-alcoholic drinks. And so I don't mind going to a bar. That's, that's my preference. Yeah. And so I honestly, am like, I'll think to myself sometimes I'm like, okay, well, this is actually a really good intro to just discuss stuff, you know? And I, I'm really super curious about everyone and, and basically everything. And so it's always a good conversation starter for me. Um, do you have any tips or any words of advice to anybody who is thinking about getting sober curious? Oh, I mean, the the big one I get, uh, well, the kind of big advice I give to people who want to maybe change their relationship, but don't necessarily want to go to teetotal um, is to kind of look at the reasons behind your drinking. And the one main piece of advice I give is to drink when you are happy and not to drink when you are sad. So if you're going to drink, drink for a celebration, drink because you're in a good headspace. Don't drink because you're using it as a coping mechanism or a way to numb or a way to quieten things, because that is actually how you're going to start forming bad habits with alcohol. That's my kind of like main advice to anyone who's listening that is like I don't want to go sober but I actually want healthy relationships Um, and then if anyone's actually thinking about sobriety you know I would say do it is the best thing there are so many resources out there that you can check out there are podcasts there are books there are communities just kind of like dive head first maybe speak to people we do um, a monthly thing called find your sober friends which is basically a thread on instagram where everyone can put where they live and um, obviously they don't put their entire address they just put their town um, and then people can make connections with people that kind of live near them so it's a bit like a tinder for sober friends um, and because I, I, you know, one of the biggest things that helped me was having people who understood what I was going through, even just to chat or say, hey, how did you do this? And, you know, do you know any good non-alcoholic wines and, and things like that? So I'd say reach out to people and yeah, just, just investigate it, like get curious. Like it's such an amazing thing to like question things that we've just done without ever thinking why we're doing them. And, and if it's not serving you, then yeah, great question it. I have one last question that I honestly just thought of it now, and I can't believe that it didn't come up when I was <laughs> when I was drafting the questions for you. Um, and it definitely should have been asked more in the middle of the podcast. Um, but I'm curious. I have I recently moved into a new apartment, and I was for the first time in a few years. I was, you know, heavily shopping for decor home decor and stuff and the amount of wine wednesdays and and the amount of decor that had promotion of drinking was absolutely bananas i've never i was really appalled almost because and and not even that i i i just like i couldn't believe that it was so normalized like i had i saw all of these coffee tumblers and they all had on it it this there might not be coffee inside but there might be wine and there might not this bottle was I, I i can't even remember but everything promoted like drinking basically 
And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, because there's a part of me that thinks that, like, everyone should just be able to enjoy themselves 100%. And if you love wine on Wednesdays, I'm not going to take that away from you. I will cheer you on in the background. And there's another part to that where I think for all of the people that do struggle with, you know, alcohol dependency or substance use in those ways, that is really affecting for them. And I ended up posting it on my stories and I had so many people comment and let me know that they also didn't like it and that it seemed only to be geared towards women. What are your thoughts on on all of that? And have you seen it where you are? Oh, I mean, I could we could probably do a whole podcast episode just on this subject, to be honest. Um, it is one that I talk about <laughs> a lot and it's it's still one that I'm trying to get my head around because like you said, we all should be able to, you know, everyone should be able to do what they want. That I am not debating in any way. But there are certain stories that we are pushing and certain narratives that we're pushing, and especially because it is a lot of it, like you say, geared towards women. Um, it's kind of it, it might just look like an innocent mug, but we're telling a lot of stories behind it, and some of them can be quite dangerous. And and also, it, it, you know, it's the shops that they're in. I know you guys have Target, and a, a lot of like stuff is in there from what I see on Instagram. Um, and you know, kids can go into these stores. Kids can see these things. Like we are reinforcing these narratives that you can't have fun without alcohol. Like day drinking is okay, and. And maybe they're not such harmless mugs. And, you know, in the UK, when it comes to sort of cigarettes and tobacco, we have so all all kind of packets of cigarettes cannot have any branding on them whatsoever. They're all in like black boxes. And if you go into a shop, they're behind shutters. So you can't even look at a packet of cigarettes until you've asked to buy some. But with alcohol, we have none of these rules. And then we get these notebooks that say things like gin dependent women. So it's really hard because... I think there's a difference between like call out culture and cancel culture with this. And I think sometimes you might, if I put up, um, you know, I've seen a product like this, it's not me canceling this brand and saying, don't ever shop here. But it's me reaching out to this brand and saying, actually, do you think that this is the best messaging that we could be pushing, especially when possibly children can see it, young women can see it? Like, is this really what we want to be showcasing? So it is a it is a whole thing. And I think one of the best things to do to kind of counteract this is actually, you know, to shine a light on sobriety and, and show like how good sobriety could be. And maybe we'll get to a point where, you know, there'll be a mug that says there is just coffee in this. Like, I, I think it's, it's really hard because you don't want to be looking like you're telling people that they can't do things or you look like you're judging people. But there is also a certain amount of responsibility that we have and retailers have to kind of not reinforce these dangerous messages around alcohol. So, yeah, it's something I talk about a lot and I've still not quite found the balance of how to address it yet. So if anyone's got any thoughts, let me know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I found myself while I was asking the question how can we have people have, you know, their freedom to do what they want and to celebrate whatever they're doing and also be quite conscious of the stories that we're narrating and the products that we're selling and the stories that we are also reinforcing. And so I think that even just starting the conversation, I think, is really good. And we might not be able to have a definitive answer or be able to find a balance right now. But I think that just starting the convo, I think, is really important. Yeah, um, there's... um. 
I'm sorry. There, there's a, a movement actually that's called kind of tell better stories. And it, it kind of focuses on this fact that we should be telling the whole story. And then there's, oh, there's a quote, I can't remember what the exact quote is, but it's by Scott Fitzgerald who wrote The Great Gatsby. And it says something like, I think it's like too much of most things is bad, but too much of champagne is just right. And, you know, you can buy this print on Etsy. You can you can buy it everywhere. But actually, when you look into it, Scott Fitzgerald died of a heart attack that is thought to be mainly down to alcohol and because he drank excessively. So we're not telling the whole story. We're only telling half of the story. So this kind of idea around telling better stories is is getting everyone to, you know, discuss openly the whole picture of alcohol and not just the the fun, glamorous side that we like to show such a good point. And it's interesting because I wonder if he would quote himself when he was passing away. You know, I wonder if he would say like, yes, please quote that instead of us, you know, taking something of his and then putting a lot of value into it. Like he may have just said that once and then the next day thought, OK, I'm not going to I don't I don't know if I actually believe in this yeah. or <laughs> maybe five years later, he might have said, I could I wish that I tweaked that because the amount of times that I've, you know, said something and especially when I thought like, oh, I've really figured this out, you know, and I've thought of like a really good quote and then I've said it and then years later, I'm like, Jesus, I'm glad like no one knew that I wrote this in my journal <laughs> and that I was and that this was my belief because I don't believe it anymore and because I have a better picture of the world now. And so the amount of times that, yeah, we'll take something and it'll be fragmented from the whole story and then we'll create like a whole movement on it, I think is. And the amount of times that people are misquoted as well is just it's off the wall. Yeah, well, um, I, I found out that I, when I was Googling the quote, someone else had attributed it to Mark Twain. So, you know, it can just get out of control. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Millie, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing all of your incredible wisdom. I think that everyone listening is going to come out of this with so many, so many different thoughts and so many different ways that they can reflect and different pieces of information that they can then, you know, expand their self-awareness on. Where can everyone find you online? They can find um, on Instagram at Sober Girl Society is the best place. Or you can come over to my personal account, which is Millie Gooch. Amazing. And we'll definitely link that in the show notes below. Thank you again. And we'll chat soon, Millie. Thank you so much. It was so lovely to speak to you. All right, friends, you made it to the end of the episode. You know what to do now. Head over to our Instagram account, Conversations with Kenzie, and let us know what you loved about the episode. Or let us know what you didn't love. What questions did we miss? What questions could we have asked differently? Let us know there. As always, stay curious, keep asking questions, and keep making conversations in your everyday life. Until next time.